0: I've been just feeling all morning just how grateful. That song we just sang, I give you all of my worship. Well, part of my worship today as I think about worship is more than just a song. Worship is what I bring to God all week long. And in that moment, I would just bring in gratitude. I'm so grateful that I get to be a part of a church family that loves well, that cares well. Last week, I joined our worship service actually from a hospital room. I, I joined online. I was at a hospital downtown Methodist Hospital with one of my boys. Some of you know about this and you've been praying for uh, our family. He was in a bad car accident. Uh, we, uh, we took a, just a real quick trip on spring break. I left clean-shaven. And I uh, came back with a beard and with gray hairs in my beard. I had no gray hairs in my beard before I went. I did No, actually, I did. But I have more now. It's been one of those weeks. But I'm just so grateful. I'm grateful for our church family, and I'm grateful for you, and I'm grateful for the gift of life. And uh, he's okay. He's okay. Let me catch up. Oh, thank you. This is week five, you just heard Jimmy mention that, it's true, week five of our hashtag Hoosier One series, all series long, we've been looking at these moments when Jesus is speaking to a group of people. And he looks through the crowd and he locks eyes with the one. He sees the individual. His heart is drawn to and connect. He looks through things that maybe separate us from people like gender or race or socioeconomical differences. And he sees the individual and he sees their heart. And His heart is drawn to them. He sees the one. And we've been asking the question all series long, hashtag, who is your one? We're called to emulate Jesus. We're called to be like Him. Who's your one when you look through the crowd you're locking eyes with, and your heart breaks for that person because you know that they're far from God? Let's catch up real quick. The first sermon of this series, we talked about the right one, as if that's such a thing. Everyone, Jesus would desire to call all men and women to Himself, the right one. The next week, we looked at the wrong one, kind of spun that on its head. No one is wrong. If they're far from God, God desires us to go after them and to pursue them. Then the next week, we talked about the obvious one. Last week, maybe some of you were on spring break last week, and I've even seen pictures today of people driving back from spring break that are joining us online as they drive back. Maybe you were out last week and you missed last week the, ob- the invisible one. We talked about, uh, well, we went down on location to Wheeler Mission. We talked about the plight of homelessness. This is one of our Where in the World pop-up sermon series. If you missed that last week, go back and check it out. This week, This week we're talking about the hurting one. I had no idea. I started working on this series months ago and started working on this particular message actually months, weeks ago. I finished this sermon, spent some time studying up for this sermon actually this week in a hospital room. And the idea of the hurting one, well, it came full circle for me. We were down on spring break and got that call that no parent wants to have raced up here. So uh, what Jimmy just said, there's a bit of a PG-13 warning on this message. It's about to get real here in a moment. We're going to be talking about the crucifixion. I'm going to be sharing some honest heart things about the hurting one. So before we get too heavy, I thought it might be fun just to have a little bit of levity in the room. So I want to joke a little bit. Now, I can't promise that these are funny jokes. These are not laugh-out-loud jokes. These are more like, like giggle or maybe a little chuckle joke. All right. First a dad joke and then a couple of funny and silly memes. Dad joke. How many of you know somebody named Lance? Anybody know somebody named Lance? I think I know one or two guys named Lance. Lance is an uncommon name nowadays. In medieval times, though, people were called Lance a lot. That's a, I don't want your pity applause. Thank you very much. That's an impaling joke. It cuts right through you, right? It's awful. It's awful. It's awful. All right, a couple of silly memes. How about this one? Bigfoot is sometimes confused with Sasquatch, yet he never complains. I actually, I actually kind of like that one. This one isn't so much funny, it's just just really heartfelt. I love this. I literally helped him find D. What did you do today? Here's a guy, I'm not sure, maybe there's some special needs here. He's got a T-shirt that's printed up that says, if lost, please return me to D. I'm D. (laughs) I kind of love that. It Makes your heart just grow a little bit, doesn't it? Like this one does. This is a very clever optical illusion. If you look long enough, you'll see two clowns looking at each other. I'd just wait a little bit for you to catch up. <laughs> Boo. All right, open your Bible uh, to page 1,086. If you're following along in the seat underneath you, there's a Bible there. Pull that out. I'm on page 1,086 in that Bible. If you brought uh, your Bible maybe on an app or you got the old school print version, go to John chapter 19. That's where we're going to start today. This week is all about hurt. Hashtag hurt. Hoosier one, the hurting one. This week all around the globe, Christians everywhere are celebrating the week of our Lord's passion, Holy Week. It begins in your Bible with a triumphal entry. It ends with a dark Saturday and a silent grave. Man, when I look around the crucifixion scene, we, we see victory In hindsight, right, that's because we have 2,000 years of processing, 2,000 years of church history. Some of us have a lifetime of processing that news. We're not reading the story maybe for the first time. We're looking at it in hindsight. We know the truth that Jesus beats the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell. He raises from the grave. Don't miss next week. Don't miss next Sunday. Who are you bringing with you to Easter services as we celebrate the truth? The the, the power of the resurrection begins with a crucifixion. You don't have power in the crucifixion until there's a resurrection. We look backwards. We know the end of the story, but when we look around the crucifixion scene, the people who are living the truth of that reality in that moment, oh, my goodness, we see a lot of hurt. Specifically today, here's the outline for the sermon today. We're going to talk about a good girl. We're going to talk about a bad boy. And then we're going to look at the solution to the problem. Fair enough. A good girl, a bad boy, then a solution to the problem. Ready? If you're taking notes, write this down. Let's first talk about a good girl. If you're taking notes, write this down. Mary. Mary hurt. Mary was hurting. When we look at the scene of the crucifixion, Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. Mary is a mom. And she's looking up at a bloody and a beaten version of the boy that she raised. Mary Hurt. I'm in John chapter 19. Let's read this together. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mama. His mother was right there. His and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. There's a whole bunch of Marys. The scene is lousy with Marys. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he looks through the crowd and he locks eyes with the one. Are you ready for it? Here it is. He said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. Mom, I see you. I look through this crowd and I lock eyes with the hurting one. I see you, mom. And to the disciple, this is John. He says, here is your mother. In other words, he's saying, listen, she needs somebody. Here's the social contract that's going to take place here. I want you to care for her after I can't do it anymore. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Mary hurt Can you imagine the pain that she must have been feeling? I don't know if I can, actually. Uh, This past week, I uh, watched my wife. I told you a bit of the story. We were down in Gatlinburg, actually. We had taken just a brief spring break trip. We had done some hiking up in the Smoky Mountains, and uh, I love that. That fuels my soul. We had decided to do one last hike, and we were getting ready to go up in, and we decided just... This is God's providence at play. Like last minute, we decided we're not going to go into the park right now. We're going to go back to the hotel first. We're going to grab a couple things. Then we're going to go hiking. I'm so glad this is what we did because, had we gone up into the mountains when we said we were going to do it, we would have been out of cell service and we would not have received the phone call. We're back at the hotel. Dawn's phone rings, and it's Micah, our son. At least it's his phone. There's a dude on the other end. She doesn't recognize his voice. He says, is this Micah's mom? This is the call parents don't want to get, right? Yeah, well, who, who's, who's this? Well, I'm the paramedic, and I'm in the ambulance. We're taking your son to the hospital. He was just in a catastrophic car accident. Heart sinks, right? We. Uh, We raced up from there. It's like a six and a half hour drive and I'm rehearsing my speech for when the police officer pulls me over the whole way up, right? Because I'm getting pulled over, I'm flying. On the phone with doctors and medical staff and I had a brother there and a sister-in-law there and they were loving on him well. We got to talk to Micah, but for the first, I don't know, first half an hour, 45 minutes, I wasn't sure he'd made it. And I I watched my wife loving on my son I took this picture during the week. This happened right after we got to see him with our eyes after a a six-and-a-half-hour drive. And uh, I might frame that one. I love that picture. Mary. Mary's looking up at her firstborn, right? This child that she loved, nursed, cared for, grew up. Raised for God, actually for this moment, but that doesn't help the pain, I'm sure. The night before that day, the night before Friday on Thursday, I think that Mary might have even had a back row seat to the first communion service in the upper room. And I think she was there for a lot of those pivotal moments between that moment and the time He's on the cross. Jesus left the upper room Thursday night. He crossed the Kidron Valley. I've got a picture here I want to show you. These are some first century steps next to a church called uh, St. Peter in Galagantu. This means the rooster crowed. You can imagine why that church is there. It's said to be built at the location of the high priest house. And they excavated these about 100 years ago. These are steps that go all the way back to the first century. And scholars are pretty confident this would have been the way in and out of the city. And the night that Jesus walked from the upper room across the Kidron Valley to Gethsemane, this commercial olive press where his soul is pressed, he probably walked to and from that location on the way back under armed guard up these steps. And I think it's entirely possible that Mary had eyesight of these events. Then let's skip ahead to Friday morning. There's three trials, Jewish trials. The first Jewish trial is before Annas. The second Jewish trial is before Caiaphas. The third Jewish trial is before the Sanhedrin. Then Jesus declares his Messiahship. He says, yes, I'm the Son of God. Are you going to kill me for it? Jesus is mocked. Peter denies him. Three times, right? The rooster crows. He shows remorse. Then there's a first Roman trial before Pilate. Then there's a second Roman trial before Herod. Then a third Roman trial again before Pilate. Pilate handed Jesus over to the Jews. Pilate attempted to rescue Jesus. Judas commits suicide. There's this road to the cross we call it the Via della Rosa. On the cross for the first three hours of Jesus hanging there and suffering from 9 a.m. to 12 a.m. Three times he speaks from the cross. He says, first of all, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Then he says, today you will be with me in paradise. We're going to look at that one closely here in a second. We just read the passage, dear mother, here is your son. Then the second three hours that he's hanging on the cross from roughly 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. There's four sayings during that time. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're going to look at that. He says, I'm thirsty. We're going to look at that. He says, it is finished. And then he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then there's some supernatural phenomena that happen accompanying Jesus' death. There's darkness. There's an earthquake. The temple veil is torn from top to bottom. There's the burial of his body in a borrowed tomb. And through all of that, Mary probably had a back row, if not a front row seat. I think we can recognize. I think we could agree, suffice it to say, that Mary was a hurting one. Well, there's a good girl, remember, and a bad boy. And then there's a solution to the problem. Let's talk about the bad boy. If you're taking notes, write this down. A criminal, a criminal hurt. We know him as the thief on the cross. You talk about the ultimate hashtag Hoosier one. Jesus looks through the crowd. Of course he's going to lock eyes with the one who happens to be his mom, right? He loves her. His heart is drawn toward her. But you talk about the ultimate Hoosier one. He looks through the crowd and he locks eyes with the man deserving the first century equivalent of the electric chair. There's actually a crowd of people that are also hanging on crosses, Well, let's read the story if we can. This is Luke chapter 23. There was a written notice above Jesus which read, this is the king of the Jews. They're mocking him. One of the criminals who also was hanging there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. He's being mocked not just by the crowd, but by another dude hanging on the cross next to him. But the other criminal on the other side of him rebuked him. Do you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's a believer. He's a believer, right? He believes in the power of Jesus. From the cross, he says, this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today he looks through the crowd and he locks eyes with him and he sees not just what his eyes need, but he looks down into his soul. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Welcome home. I've always loved this story. This is a story of grace. This is a story of mercy. Mercy. I love the story of the thief on the cross. We've been talking for five weeks now, asking the question, who's your one? Who do you know who is far from God? Who do you know in your life inside of your sphere of influence that when you lay your head down on the pillow at night, when you close your eyes, who are you thinking about that you know who you know they're far from God? You know that their eternity is secured apart from God. Does that break your heart? Are you praying for them? Are you concerned for them? Who do you know who's in desperate need of God's grace? Listen, if God's grace is deep enough for the today you'll be with me in paradise story, for a criminal who's dying because of his sins, if God's grace is deep enough for that guy, whoever you're picturing right now, God's grace is sufficient for them. God's grace is sufficient for your one. So roll up your sleeves. Hashtag, who's your one? A good girl, a bad boy, and the solution to the problem. Let's start first with the solution, shall we? This won't come as any surprise to you if you've been around this church thing for any amount of time. You know that Jesus is the solution to whatever problem ails you. When we look around the scene of the crucifixion, if you're taking notes, write this down. Jesus, Jesus hurt. And that might be the understatement of the century. Jesus profoundly hurt. He hurt physically. I want to do something for the rest of the sermon time. When you came in, you probably almost sat down on the communion elements. If you're a guest with us today, you should know that this is something that we do every week at Venture. We do this because it's important to be reminded of our brokenness and his forgiveness. There are some communion elements. I'd invite you right now just to grab those and to maybe hold them in your hand. You might even want to hold these for the rest of the sermon. We're going to take communion at the end of the message, but let's, let's pour some meaning into these, shall we? Jesus himself said, this is my body broken for you. He said, this is my blood shed for you. Jesus looks through the crowd and he locks eyes with the individual and through a lens of redemption. That's, that's you, my friend. We do this every week and it's important we do it every week, but sometimes I wonder if it becomes a bit commonplace. Let's pour some meaning In the truth that Jesus hurt physically. I reread an article this past week. I do this just about every year during this season. There's an article that was written in a medical journal back in the 60s, and it's been republished a few different times. I spent this past week in a hospital hearing all kinds of medical jargon. We were dismissed from the hospital last week. We're going back for a surgery tomorrow with Micah. But Don was looking at his discharge papers yesterday, and there's some, medical language in there. And she was actually Googling, looking up the words, and she's like, he did have a punctured lung. That's what this word means. If you've ever spent time around doctors, there's some pretty heavy words, and they're, they're important because they describe physiologically exactly what's happening. Well, several years ago, a group of physicians got together, and they read the text. They read the Bible story, and they said through a medical lens, this is what would have been happening. This is exactly how Jesus would have hurt on the cross as you look at those communion elements listen to this internalize this think about your sin even from this past week that did this to him because crucifixion was the most painful death ever invented by man and it's it's actually where we get the word excruciating that comes from crucifixion it was reserved primarily for the most vicious of male criminals jesus had actually refused some anesthetic wine You and I, we go into the hospital, they give us morphine or something like that. In the first century, it was this spiced anesthetic wine. It was offered to him by Roman soldiers, but he refused it because of the promise that he made the day before in the upper room. Let's read that together. Matthew chapter 26, he said to his disciples, but I say to you, I will not eat or drink of this fruit of the vine from now or until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Remembering that promise, he refuses the wine. That's meant to comfort him. Jesus was stripped naked. His clothes were divided by the Roman guards. This is a fulfillment of Psalm chapter 22, which says this, "...they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots." The crucifixion of Jesus guaranteed a horrific and a slow and a painful death. Having been nailed to the cross, Jesus had, well, he was in what is now an almost impossible anatomical position to maintain. His knees are flexed at about a 45 degree angle. I would invite you sometime today to go home and see how long you can hold this posture before these muscles and these muscles start quivering. It's impossible to hold that for very long, but this is exactly what's happening with Jesus on the cross. He starts to have severe cramping in the muscles of the thigh and the calf. His weight is borne on his feet. And remember, there are nails driven through his feet. The strength of the muscles of Jesus' limbs would, the lower limbs would have tired and the weight of his whole body would have been transferred to his wrists, his arms, and his shoulders. And within just a few minutes of being on the cross, his shoulders would have dislocated. And then moments later, his elbows and his wrists would have been dislocated. Actually, they look at crucifixion victims, and oftentimes those uh, arms end up about nine inches longer than where they started. This prophecy, this fulfilled prophecy in Psalm 22, verse 14, check this out. I poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. After Jesus' wrists and elbows and shoulders were dislocated, the weight of the body and his upper limbs would have caused all kinds of force here in the pectoral muscles of his ribcage. This would have had other effects. It would have affected his diaphragm and his ability to breathe. It would have been, uh, his ribcage would have been pulled upwards and outward in an unnatural state. In order to exhale, Jesus was physiologically uh, required to force his body up. So in order to breathe out, he had to push down on the nails driven through his feet to raise his body up about 12 inches. Crucifixion is a a medical catastrophe. The problem is Jesus could not easily push down on the nails because, again, his feet are at a 40, his legs are at a 45-degree angle. He's extremely fatigued and he's cramping This is a bad position to be in. Unlike a Hollywood movie that shows a crucifixion, the victim was extremely active. They constantly had to raise and lower themselves to force air in and out of their lungs. They were in excruciating pain. And he had probably absolute terror of asphyxiation. After six hours, he would have been absolutely exhausted. But within minutes of crucifixion, Jesus became severely short of breath. The pain from the two shattered median nerves in his wrists exploded with every movement. Jesus was covered in blood and sweat. The blood was a result of scourging, this had nearly killed him. And the sweat was a result of his violent, involuntary attempts to expire air from his lungs. He's completely naked. The leaders of the Jews and the crowds and the thieves on both sides of him were jeering and swearing and laughing at him. And in addition to this, we already talked about this, his own mama is watching this. Physiologically, Jesus' body was undergoing a series of catastrophic and terminal events. This is medical language. Here's a word. He couldn't maintain uh, adequate ventilation of his lungs. He's now in a state of hypoventilation. And his blood oxygen level begins to fall, and he develops hypoxia. This is low blood oxygen. In addition to this, uh, he's got uh, his blood uh, carbon dioxide, CO2 levels begin to rise. This is known as hypercapnia. His heart begins to beat faster. Hypoxia, this is too little oxygen. And hypercapnia, this is too much CO2. And his heart's beating faster and faster, and he develops what's called tachycardia. Actually, his heart's beating so fast that he's probably hitting about 220 beats per minute. This is not sustainable. He's not drunk anything for 15 hours since 6 p.m. the night before. He'd endured a scourging which had nearly killed him. By noon, Jesus' heart probably began to fail. And his lungs probably began to fill up with pulmonary edema. This exacerbates his breathing. It's already compromised. He's in heart failure and respiratory failure. He said, I thirst, because his body was crying out for fluids. He was in desperate need at this point, medically speaking, of an intravenous infusion of blood and plasma to save his life. But he couldn't breathe properly, and he was slowly suffocating to death. Blood and plasma gathered in the space around his cart, his heart called the pericardium. And this fluid around his heart caused cardiac tamponade, prevented his heart from beating properly. And I want to read this to you because of the increasing physiological demands on Jesus' heart in the advanced state of, I'm going to mess with this one up, hemopericardium. Jesus probably eventually sustained cardiac rupture. In layman's terms, his heart literally burst. And this was probably the cause of his death. Oftentimes it would take up to nine days for somebody to die on the cross. When the Romans wanted to expedite death, though, they would simply break the legs of the victim. They had a word for this. It was called crucifragrum, And they would suffocate that person then in a matter of minutes. But at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus said, It is finished. And at that moment, he gave up his spirit and he died. So when the Roman soldiers came to break his legs, he was already dead. Not a a bone in his body is broken. Actually, let's read the text here together. This is the Gospel of John, chapter 19. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Jesus died after six hours of the most excruciating and terrifying torture ever invented. Jesus died so that ordinary people like you and me could get to heaven. I think we can agree. He was hurting physically. But maybe more profoundly, he was hurting spiritually. We just talked about this as the blood and the plasma fills up around his heart and the pericardium, that sack surrounding the heart. Jesus died of a broken heart, literally and spiritually. Because maybe for the first time ever in his existence, he has this separation from a holy father in heaven who cannot be near sin. Because you see at the cross, Jesus bore the weight of the world's sins on his shoulders, and a holy God had to turn away. This is why we read in the text what happens next. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God had to turn his back on the sin that hangs on the cross. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 puts it this way God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God He did this so that you and so that me we don't have to be separated from the father because Jesus recognized Remember, there's a good girl, a bad boy. There's the solution. We just talked about that. That's Jesus himself. The solution to the problem. What's the problem? The whole world was hurting. The whole world was hurting. And like I said, I want communion today to be viewed as elongated. I want to start now thinking about communion. We talked about the solution. Let's focus on the problem as well. The Bible doesn't chronicle much of what happened next, but here's what we do know. We see that the whole world is hurting as we read here in the text. Let's go ahead and go to Matthew chapter 27. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The whole world is affected by this. I have a picture that I want to show you. In my opinion, the crucifixion happened, Golgotha, was the space about 300 years later, the church built a church building on top of that space. It's called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And if you walk through the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, there's a space underneath the place that they venerate as Golgotha. There's a place there where you can literally look through this wall, and you can see the rock behind it where the earth has split there. Now, we don't know for sure. That might have happened before the crucifixion. It might have happened from an earthquake after the crucifixion. But here's what we do know. When Jesus died on the cross, it profoundly changed things, including the people that were there to be eyewitnesses to that moment. Check out this passage. Matthew chapter 27, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus at the cross saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. We've already read about one of the Marys. They followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. They'd been with him for a while. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. And then after the crucifixion, skip ahead a few verses, after Jesus died on the cross, we see some of those same women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, were sitting there opposite the tomb. They were grieving. The whole world was hurting. It puts it this way, the Bible does in Romans chapter 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And even after the crucifixion, the disciples were living in fear. John chapter 20 puts it this way, on the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of what might happen to to them if they get connected with Jesus. But Jesus came to save the world. Oh, my goodness, I love these passages. Uh, This is uh, John chapter 12. Check this out. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him, God, who sent me. I have come into the world as light. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This is his purpose that he's getting at. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. This is why I'm here. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words already has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a command. And here it is. What to say, what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. That's what he wants. For all, hashtag# "Who's Your One." What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me, and in another place, I love John 3:16. You know it is the football. Touchdown verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. But for my money, oh, my goodness, I love John three seventeen just as much. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but this is why he came, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. There's a good girl. There's a bad boy. And there's the solution to the problem. Well, what's the problem? Well, we already said, right? It's that the world was hurting. But you and I, we know this. We still live in this broken and fallen world. We know this is true, that the whole world still is hurting. But there's a great physician that will cure what ails you hashtag who's your one. Oh my goodness, it's our job to recognize that truth and to radiate God's love to anybody that we come in contact with. So can I real quick give you a three-step process to that? Number one, don't be afraid to share your hurt. Don't be afraid to share what is hurting you. Something happens in that social contract. When you're honest with somebody and you look through the crowd and you lock eyes with them and you're able to tell them, this is where I'm hurting, this is where I'm in pain. Something happens in that moment. People are drawn to that level of transparency. So can I just encourage you, be real. Romans chapter 12 talks about this in the lens of hypocrisy. Love must be free of hypocrisy. So be real with people. Share your hurt with them. Number two, share their hurt. Share their hurt. If you're looking to connect with somebody, hashtag who's your one, somebody who's far from God, is there a place in their life where they're feeling pain? Maybe that's an opportunity for the gospel to penetrate through you. Real quick, let me give you five specific ways you might want to write these down. These are pretty important if you want to share their hurt. Number one, be there. This is the show up feature, right? Simply show up. Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, we mourn with those who mourn. So show up. Number two, don't say unkind things. Show up. Maybe this one's shut up, right? We feel like we have to... Say these overly spiritual, grandiose things. Well, God will work all things together for you. No, no, no. Just show up. Shut up. Just be there. When the time does come to speak, speak the truth. If you're looking for a primer on how to do this and do it well, read through the book of Job in the Old Testament. His friends show up, and maybe the smartest thing they do is shut up. When the time to speak comes, we see truth. In Job chapter 19, I love this, where it says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. When it's time to talk, talk truth, and then show your love through actions. Oh, my goodness. Our church loves well. I'm so grateful. We we had people show up at our house with food this past week, and we're trying to figure out how to get more protein and calories into Micah. He's on like a liquid kind of a diet, and people showing up with coaching and help on that and food for the rest of us. And I had a moment at the hospital. I told you I I drove at breakneck speed about six and a half hours. We get there exhausted. We just want to run in and hug our son. We do that. Some of you were there, actually, a couple of our elders. Um, Daniel Shelton, our executive pastor, was there. And as he turned to leave, he said, hey, I brought this for you, and he handed me a charging cord. Uh, how thoughtful. He said, yeah, a lot of times people show up at the hospital and they don't have a way to charge their phone. I thought of that. I grabbed it and thought maybe you guys could borrow that while you're here. Man, the heart behind that gesture, showing love through actions. And last but not least, don't rush the process. Hashtag your one if you're going to use pain to draw people to Jesus, you're in it. This not, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Don't be afraid to run the distance with them. So share your hurt. Share their hurt. And don't leave this piece of influence on the table. Share your hope. You have a hope for why you live. Share it. Hashtag, who's your one? Oh, my goodness, this past week in the hospital, I found myself on an elevator or down in the cafeteria, and I'm just looking around. I'm looking through the crowd. I'm locking eyes with individuals, and all I can think of is, man, there's a temporary, there's a blurry line. There's a blurry line between this life and the life to come. And as I'm looking at people, I'm thinking, do you know Jesus. Do you know my Savior? Do you know the person who has the power to conquer Satan, sin, death, and hell? Do you know my Jesus who can redeem your life, not just for this life, but for the life to come? Hashtag, who's your one? Could I encourage you right now? I'm going to pray. If you've asked Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, this is a moment for you to lean into the table. Join us in this moment. As you do, could I challenge you to think of three individuals? First of all, think of Jesus. We just talked about the pain, the hurt that he endured on the cross, physically, spiritually. So first of all, think think of Jesus, his body broken, his blood shed. Second of all, think of you. Think of this past week. What did you do this past week through the lens of sin that contributed to his body broken and his bloodshed? And then repent. Ask for forgiveness. But could I invite you to think of a third individual? Hashtag, who's your one? Who is that person that you're thinking of? Listen, we've been talking about this for five weeks. If the, I know, my God. The Holy Spirit has prompted you. There's been somebody that you've thought of. Would you simply pray for them? right now. Think of Jesus. Think of you. And let your heart be broken for them as well. Invite them to join us for Easter next week. We're going to talk about the good news, the gospel, that Jesus won. He rose up from the grave. Invest in them. Invite them to come here to be a part of that celebration. Would you pray with me? God, in this moment, your gospel is big. It covers a world. A world that was hurting and a world that is hurting and each of us knows somebody who is wrapped up in that hurt. As we think about, oh, I even hesitate to use the word celebrate. Your body broken and your blood shed, Lord, as we remember It draws us to worship, and it draws us with motivation to bring just one more, just one more, just one more into your heaven. And it's in your name in Jesus' name as we begin this process. And when we're done, we're going to take this communion into our bodies and celebrate your forgiveness. And we worship you now in this moment.